0: Good morning, everybody. If you're in the fourth or fifth grade, you can go on to your class, fourth and fifth graders. You're dismissed. Uh, before we move into the message this morning, let me just uh, kind of make you aware and just kind of invite you a couple of things here. One, by the time the morning is all over here, I know we're kind of into the afternoon here, about, you know, over 600 people will have gathered together at the Living Stones Church here at 718 East Donware Avenue, which, you know, good thing, great thing. I know we are able, if we wanted to, to sell our property and go big, a big Uh, Build a bigger building somewhere else on a major highway or a thoroughfare if we wanted to, but we believe. God has called us to be in the middle of a neighborhood here at 718 East Donware. and so people come in through this one entry and exit, and this is what we do because there are 42,500 people who live all around the south side of South Bend in the zip codes of 46613, 46614, and that's what God has called us to. There are 11,800 children take a, you know one or two whatever uh, 800 children here on the south side, and so we talk about things like. Monroe School and Lincoln School and Hamilton and Hay and Marshall and Jackson and Riley. This is we are in the middle of a neighborhood, and we have been called by God to be a blessing and to serve and even to exist for the sake of the neighborhood. So our hearts and our passion and our calling is for people who live on Alt Guild and Fox Street and Donald and Indiana and Woodside, and that, that's what he's called us to. But what we recognize is anytime you're dealing with 42,500 people, that's a, that's a huge undertaking. That is a huge mission that it is that God has called us to. And in that, we're going to have all sorts of things. And for example, we're going to encounter students at Riley High School who are so overcome with trauma of their abuse growing up that they don't know how to handle that other than maybe cutting or maybe turning to alcohol or to bad relationships. And and, and you don't just kind of haphazardly walk into that. You want to train yourself and equip yourselves to be prepared to deal with those sorts of things. Anytime you're dealing with maybe marriages unraveling at the seams or kids moving in that, I mean, you get there's lots of issues in neighborhoods, and we want to be the kind of church that would be like anything else that was of consequence, like any other great venture, whether it's from the military or winning a championship on a sports team, you don't just kind of hand somebody a gun and say, point that direction, but there's training, there's exercises, there's disciplines to teach them how to succeed and how to do this well. And here at the Living Stones Church, we have something that we call communitas groups that are intended to be for us that training, those exercises, that discipline that's supposed to help us be the kind of people who can accomplish the mission that God has called us to. Now, just even forget about like our mission as a church. Even individually, we recognize that we want to be the kind of people who so emanate the life of Jesus that it doesn't matter what's coming against us or what we experience, our natural, most instinctive response will be the manner of Jesus, and so in that, we've used in the past sort of, it's just an analogy of like the, I don't know if you've ever heard of the CrossFit fitness movement where there's a lot of pain, a lot, a lot of hard work. They've got lots of slogans, but one of them is this, in terms of their general life training in terms of being physically prepared for anything, and so they say things like this, what do we train for? And the response is, for tomorrow. And then they ask, what happens tomorrow? And the answer is, exactly. See, we don't know what happens tomorrow. So using that as an analogy, what if we spiritually prepared ourselves for general life preparation? What if we spiritually prepared ourselves for what happens tomorrow, that we adopt that slogan for ourselves? What do we train for spiritually? For tomorrow. Because what happens tomorrow? Exactly. We have no idea, but when it comes our way, we want to be ready for it. We want to have the heart of Jesus, the life of Jesus that can handle it. And so tomorrow, success might finally come your way. And when it does, praise God. But what we've discovered is sometimes you can have the kind of life and character and heart that you're not ready for success. It overwhelms you in such a way that it leads your life to end up being a train wreck. We've got enough illustrations from Hollywood to illustrate that, that not everybody handles success well. And how do we prepare ourselves today for success that comes our way? Or maybe it's on the other extreme, maybe tomorrow's going to be a disappointment. You're going to get some news. Your boss might call you into the office and let you know that they can no longer afford your position, blah, blah, whatever. And so you got disappointment. Well, what do you do then? Like, how do we prepare ourselves today to handle maybe that news of disappointment tomorrow? Or it might be trouble, or it might be opposition that comes tomorrow, or it might be temptation. Now, listen to me. It's not if temptation shows up, it's when it shows up because it will, and when it does, we have already trained ourselves, prepared ourselves today to handle the temptation of tomorrow. Or maybe tomorrow it's going to be grief. That you get the diagnosis, or something will happen to somebody that you love in your life. Or it might be ready for life or for death or for whatever comes after that, we want to be prepared for. And what we do in communitas groups is we gather together in small groups to undergo exercises and disciplines and study and those sorts of things to prepare us to handle not only the mission that God has given us here at the Living Stones Church, but for whatever might come against us tomorrow. And so we've developed 20 core competencies of the spiritual life that we think if you move deeper into these things, then you'll be ready for tomorrow. And they're things like this biblical literacy, like knowing how to handle the Word of God and to study it and to, to read it and to interpret it and to apply it to life. Things like our prayer life or having a generous heart or things like service or meditation or simplicity or worship or forgiveness. I mean, just you could camp on forgiveness. I mean, imagine what life will be like and what you'll be prepared for tomorrow simply because your heart knows how to forgive today and you're preparing yourself for that. Or grace, or things like solitude, or fasting, or sharing your faith, or love, or joy, or peace, or patience, or kindness, or faithfulness, or self control, or humility. So it looks like this we gather together in a communitas group, maybe eight, twelve, who knows how many other people are gathering together, and we don't just talk about service. Maybe that time we go out and we actually serve in the neighborhood or somebody in the community, and we talk then about what, it, what was it like, what were the barriers, what made it difficult. We talk about how can we serve people this week. And what happens is your whole thinking that entire week begins to think about yeah, looking for opportunities to serve, to be like Jesus. And the next thing you know, you get to come back the next week and talk about, hey, I had an opportunity to serve, and this is what it looked like, and I've found myself over the past week kind of growing in this area. Or maybe it's in the area of generosity. We'll go out and just be generous in some particular way, and then we'll come back and talk about, now, how can we live a generous life? And we'll look at Scripture together, and we'll pray about that together. So that's what a communitas group kind of looks like. And I just want to say this. All of our groups, they have the principle of adaptation, which means. I don't care if you've been in Christ for 40 years or you just started following Jesus yesterday. These groups adapt and that they meet you where you're at. So if you're brand new to all this stuff, then you'll kind of start where you're at and it's no big deal. And like in the physical world, if you've got to do push-ups on your knees at first, that's no big deal. There's no shame in that. We will kind of just slowly grow into the life of Christ. And so that, And you might be thinking, well, that word communitas, well, I haven't even heard of that. What is that word? It's a sociological word that we've stolen. And here's what it means. It's an intense community spirit, the feeling of solidarity and togetherness achieved by sharing in a common experience. Now, the the focus is on the common experience that's shared together of something else that's more intense. I don't know, anyone ever been on a sports team that did really great and won a championship? Like, when you get out of that, because of that common experience, you're like friends for life. Or maybe it is, uh, you know, people who served in the military together that went on some sort of battle or some, take up some sort of war. When you come back, you can be lifelong friends. Not because you naturally were kind of gravitated towards one another. It's because you had the shared experience that allowed you to get to know one another and become friends in a way you never would before. Sometimes we see this on the mission field. Like a mission team goes to a foreign country to do maybe a six-week mi- mission trip. I don't care if you don't know anybody on that team. Six weeks later, when you come back, you'll be best friends because you're thrust into a new environment, a new culture, a new language, a new everything, and in that common experience, you get to know one another. So I know some of you are here thinking, you know, I've been here for a little while, and I don't know if I really know anyone else, or I don't feel really connected. Communitas could be that thing where not only are we pursuing spiritual fitness, but by doing that, we're getting to be connected to know one another in Communitas. Paul says this, 1 Timothy 4.8, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present and the life to come. So in your Bolton, if you want to open it up, in your Bolton is a card. It looks like this. It should be sticking out because it's longer than the Bolton itself. And you'll see, here's a list of all of our communitas groups, different leaders, different days of the week, different formats. Take a look at that and choose one, and then go home, go online to livingstones.cc, and it'll tell you exactly where to go. Just click on it, just check the, this is the group that I'd like to be in, and let me encourage you to do that. I think it's going to be a real blessing in your life, and you'll see yourself kind of moving and growing in ways that you might not see otherwise and they're just it's it's doable but it's just difficult enough what we're doing that you'll 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 come to depend on one another in the process of growing spiritually as i think God intended all along so that's the communitas groups that i want to come in to invite you and the reason why you need to do it is cuz it begins a week from sunday Now, if you did it, like if you did the last round of Communitas, we have the same 20 core competencies, but these are totally different exercises. So it's not like, oh, we're going to do the same thing. No, they're different things. Same principle of growing in these areas, but different exercises. But I know most people are kind of procrastinators, but now's the week. Go home, sign up this week as we launch a new thing coming next Sunday. And the other thing I want you to know about next Sunday is we're offering our Stepping Stones Discover class, which we've not had one in several months, but in it, we tell our story, you hear our vision, you hear what it is that we're about and what we're doing here at the Living Stones Church. And what you want to walk away with is the heartbeat of the Living Stones Church. Because here's the truth, not everybody's supposed to be at our church. Like, just God didn't call everybody. And you want, to, you want to be able to go to this and hear what's going on and hear our story. And I think you'll walk out either going, oh, I got to be a part of this church. Or you'll think... I think this church is whack. I don't think (laughs) I need to find another one. Either way, that's what you want to walk out with. But here's the deal. If you show up, you're not obligating yourself to anything. It's just really informational. It's not like you're signing up to be all in here for a lot. I mean, no, no, just come and listen. But as a bonus, I will feed you cheap Little Caesars pizza. I mean, it is Jesus' favorite pizza. How can you pass that up? We'll be meeting after the third service, so it'll be this time next week after this service in the Rockstar Room back in Kids Canyon, and if you, on your connection card on the back, there's a little spot that says, sign me up for the Stepping Stones Discover, just check that, we'll know you're coming, we'll have pizza and a notebook ready for you. Okay, now let's move into the message. Ready? Now let's move into Modern Family. We are in the third week of a series we started several weeks ago called Modern Family. If you've missed it, you can get all the messages online. The very first week that we talked about everyone who's in a family, which is all of us, means everyone in our family... They're sinners. Like, don't take that personally. You are, you are, I am. We all. I mean, th- so because of that, every family is going to have issues. Every family is going to have struggles. Every family is going to have dynamics and complexities and dysfunctions. But in the midst of that, we think Jesus can bring us hope. By one, providing a path of forgiveness and grace. Number two, by decentering the biological family. Number three, to inspire us to an ideal. And finally, the fourth that we talked about is He gives us the Holy Spirit to maneuver in the midst of the complexities of family to know. This is what I ought to do, and this is with the manner of Jesus. Last week we talked about marriage specifically, and we talked about uh, that, especially for guys that men, you must still pursue and romance your wife still. So hopefully it's been a good week. I'm hoping that I mean, but anyhow, that's what we talked about last week. Now next week we're going to talk about living the fifty percent and it's life after divorce. And so we know fifty percent is around there as the statistic. I think it's much higher here at the Living Stones Church of people who've walked through the really the trauma of divorce. And how do you recover from that? How do you move on to, to capture a life of blessing? So we'll go there uh, next week. The week after that, we're going to talk about the road less traveled, but increasingly more populated. It's about the single life. What we know is more and more people statistically are opting out of marriage altogether, just choosing to remain single. So how do you do that in grace and after following after Jesus? And then the, the final week, we're going to talk about repairing a cracked foundation. But this morning, I want to talk to you about kids. And specifically, what happens in your life and family if kids are driving everything, if our whole world revolves around kids? Now, you need to know, I do not consider myself to be a child expert, but I have enough experience and I've seen enough here that I'd like to talk a little bit about what does it look like when our kids are driving everything in our family. And to set this up, I want you to see this video kind of exaggerated why uh, explaining and illustrating uh, a kids driving a family.
1: been the most challenging job that I have ever had. Every day is like an adventure. An adventure, exactly. I mean, you never know what is going to happen next. How can you call this food? I'm sorry, what's the matter? Margarine? You can't put margarine in macaroni and cheese. This is unacceptable.
0: See, this is obviously an oversight. I'll take care of it right away.
1: And don't bring it back without using butter. Sure, he was a little cranky, but everyone has days like that, right? I mean, he is under a lot of pressure. I have an urgent meeting this morning. Look at these wrinkles. Wrinkles? I don't see any wrinkles. Of course you don't. You don't have an urgent meeting. But I... I guess I could have taken a little more time with the iron. He does have quite the schedule. Do I have to go over it again, please? Okay. Lego robotics on Monday at 3. Soccer on Wednesdays at 5.30. Got that? Yes, yes. Guitar lessons Thursday at 5. Karate Saturday at 10. Still with me? Okay, Uh, okay. And don't forget, I also need new book covers a snack for Tuesday, and a poster board. A poster board? Oh, come on! Work with me, people! Anyway, last week, things seemed to really hit the fan. I'm sure you know why I called you here. Frankly, I just don't like how you've been wearing this organization, and it's time for a change. You don't mean... Yes, you're fired. But you can't fire us. We're your parents. Oh... Right, I see. Well, that leaves me to one choice outsourcing.
0: So now, we apparently have to find our replacements.
1: Like we said, an adventure. An adventure. Exactly.
0: I remember when uh, my three kids were born, and that that moment where if you if you were a witness of it uh, as a dad at least the uh... feeling that's just overwhelming in regards to at one moment you've never seen this child you have never held this child and in an instant i'm looking at this slimy alien looking thing but i'm thinking i would die for this baby right now like i am i'm willing to give up my life for this little baby i mean, I mean just all all three times i just remember that experience of being overwhelmed and thinking to myself I, would, I don't care if my whole world re- revolves around this little baby. I mean, you're stupid at the moment. You don't realize what you're saying, but that's what you feel. I remember waking up in the, in the night there in the hospital room and just looking over and watching my, my children sleeping and watching them breathe and patting their little chest. And you know how when you kind of hold a newborn's, uh, you, you put your finger and it kind of instinctively instinctively grips their your finger and just doing all those sorts of things and holding and, and, and talking to and praying and moving their arms around, wishing they could play back. I mean, that's kind of, and then the moment's like, oh, my whole world could revolve around them and, and it would be all right. And then you realize that your whole world does revolve around them and you're thinking, oh my goodness, life as I knew it is over. I mean, it doesn't matter what trajectory of life that I might have wanted, now that we've got this, and especially, and this is natural, like it's, this is no criticism, especially in the first year of a child's life, they are completely dependent on you, and because of that, your life orbits around them. Everything is about that little baby. They depend on you for everything. They're dependent on you to eat, to sleep, to clean them off when they, their diaper explodes, and then when it goes up their back, you know, and they're onesie. you hear, Mom? You gotta take care of this. I was above my grade, loving I, mean, so, I mean, when they cry, you got to be there to comfort them. And your world really is. And so, you remember the days when you remember when you were hungry. You're like, you could just go out to eat, like whenever you wanted to. Well, those days are over. Now you've got a little baby, and now you've got a whole new world to consider about what if the baby gets hungry? What if it starts crying? Where are we going to put the baby? Do they have a car seat room? Or you could bring that in the restaurant. I mean, all. And so, it's a whole new world. And, and it's revolving around this little baby. You remember the days when at 9.30 at night, you could look at each other and go, I'm kind of in the mood for a movie. Me too. Let's go. You get in the car and go to the movie. Well, that's all over. You don't do that anymore. Remember the days when you think, hey, it's Friday night. Let's have our friends over. We can... No, those days are gone because your whole life and world is now revolving around that little baby. And for at least the first year, that's totally normal. And it's it's appropriate. Uh, There's no criticism in that for anybody. But here's the thing. At some point, your life's orbit around your child needs to find a launching off point where it no longer orbits and revolves around your child. Think of it like the space shuttle, right, with a big rocket engine. I mean, it takes off about 210 miles above the earth, and then it enters into the earth's uh, orbit. And what happens is about 15 times a day, the spatial will go around the Earth about 15 times a day. And here, because of the laws of aerodynamics and gravity and space and things that I don't even know about because I'm not that smart, did you know that the spatial can remain in orbit untouched, round and around for years? For years. But what happens is of course in the space sh- in the space shuttle they don't have enough life support for that to sustain that kind of time. So here's what the astronauts have to do. At some point they have to push the retrofire button that gets them out of the orbit so they can come back down to the earth. And what I'm saying to you is I think in the first year of life, yeah, we orbit around that little baby and that baby, but at some point parents have to hit the retrofire button to stop orbiting around the child to come back down to earth. And do you know why? Because no one likes the adult whose character was established when they were a child who thinks that the whole world revolves around them. Nobody likes the adult, and you might think, I think I'm married. I mean, nobody likes the adult who truly believes the entire. They are the center of the universe, and everything and everyone should simply revolve and rotate and orbit around them. People like that, they don't make very good spouses. And they don't make very good employees. And they don't make very good friends. And they don't make very good parents. And we have names that we call people like that. None that I can say out loud because we're in church. But, I mean, you, we have names for them. And do you know how that happens? By parents who never hit the retro fire button always let life and the universe revolve around their children as the center. Now, here's what you need to know. When you walk out of here later this afternoon, I'm not going to say anything that you probably don't already know. Like you're not going to walk out and go, that dude is brilliant and profound. I mean, no, that's probably not going to happen this morning. At least at some philosophical level, you already get this. But I just want to speak it out, out loud together to both remind us of what we already know and to give you permission to affirm this, that you are not a bad parent if your world does not revolve around your child. You are not a bad parent if your entire world and universe does not revolve around your child because everything in our society and culture, that's what it's telling us, that our world should revolve around our kids. And I'm telling you, there are real consequences to that. And this is a very recent phenomenon. I mean, decades ago, you would not have families revolve around the kids. They would be more into the, you know, seen but not heard, and just kind of everyone in, in, in culture and society would think, oh no, we don't let kids drive families. That's ridiculous. But somehow, in our day and age, I mean, all you have to do is get a bunch of teachers together who've taught for decades. Like, not like, I mean, the teachers who've been in the classroom for decades, let them talk about what kids are like today versus what they were like even decades ago. And what they will tell you is that this overprotective absentee and permissive parenting that's produced in this generation produces entitled kids, bored kids, irresponsible kids, and at times spoiled kids. And see, back, I mean, even in my day, and I'm a very young guy, I mean, back in my day even, if my parents went to a teacher-parent conference, and the teacher said, you know what your son said to us, or you know what your son did? I mean, that was just, that was gospel truth. My parents believed the teacher, even if I was going, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. I mean, nowadays, it's the exact opposite. I'm telling you, I mean, and, and they just, there's something about, no, we're all revolving. My little Billy could not have said that, and they didn't know. He really did say this well, not my, not my kid. We're living in a culture that is desperately trying to tell us that we should protect our children from anything that's unpleasant or an imposition or that's a hardship, or that they might find frustrating. And when you do that, what do you expect? I mean, we live in a day and age, everybody gets a trophy. Really? Everybody gets a trophy? Culture now supports and affirms and pushes the idea that everything should revolve around a child. you got the self-esteem movement, et cetera, and it's a generation who believes that their first world problems are real problems. I mean, they are you kidding me? you bought me this smartphone with these buttons that aren't big enough. I mean, that's, I mean they, that's what happens when everything revolves around them. And I want you to know that all that, that's a lie. And if you fall for it, there's some real consequences for your kids in terms of entitlement and selfishness and being spoiled and even being miserable. And, and I know this message sounds a little like we're anti-kids, and I don't want you to hear that at all. Like, I am pro kid Like, I love children. I am for children. And even here at the Living Stones Church, we take very seriously our ministry to children. And you can't even be here for very long without hearing about what's happening in Kids Canyon or about recess or about our after-school programs or about Monroe School or Lincoln School. So, I mean, listen, we we are committed (coughs) to the heart of Jesus that loves and blesses children. That says in Luke 18, verse 16, when everyone else wanted to send all the kids away, Jesus says, oh, no, no. Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We affirm what the psalmist says in Psalm 127, verse 3, that children, and in some of your translations will say, are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. No, children are gifts. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, for a gift? <laughs> I mean, how do I take that one back and exchange it for a mean? No, but, but we believe, but we are so for kids that we understand that the best thing for our kids is to be decentered and not allowed to be the center of the universe. That the best thing for our kids is to be decentered and not to be allowed to be the center of the universe. So let me give you four things this afternoon in terms of how to help us kind of decenter our kids and not let them be the, the, the universe for us and not drive the family. Number one, keep the end in mind. Keep the end in mind. When your child is 19, 18, and out of your house, right? They're, they're growing up, and now they're out of the house. They're able to move out because they're, just kidding. just kidding. The question is, what kind of person do you want them to be? What kind of character do you want them to have? What do you want in terms of heart cultivation that when they 're twenty two years old they look like this, and whatever that is that end begin when they're three years old like whatever you want for them at, the kind of person to be at twenty two begin the process at three years old of raising our kids with the end in mind. start now, and I totally understand you might be sitting there thinking twenty two when they're 22, I'm trying to make it through the day without killing them like today. I don't care about 22. I need to know, how do I not kill my kid in this moment? And I totally get that. It's what I call survival mode parenting. And we all experience it. I've experienced it where we get in that moment where we're so overwhelmed and so exhausted that really short-term survival goals are our goals for parenting. It looks something like, you know, Dear, sweet Jesus, if you please get my kid to stop asking me for another drink, or I'm going to start drinking. I mean, that's what we, that's our prayer. That's the, you know, if my kid doesn't get out of bed, get dressed, get ready for school, I'm going to go insane. Or if my kid doesn't put the video game down and go do his homework, those are, but here's the thing, it really is possible to live 18 years in survival mode parenting. It really is. I mean, it really is possible for 18 straight years to never transcend survival mode parenting. What I'm thinking, and you don't transcend it without intention. It won't happen accidentally. It will take purpose and intentionality to begin thinking through, okay, so if I respond like this or I do this, this is what's going to happen in my kids, and this is how they will long-term end up being. Keep the end in mind. Know that now, the future begins now. There's a, a psychologist named Henry Cloud. He's written several books even one called Boundaries for Children, which I highly recommend. It would be great for you as parents just to read it. But he said one time he said about he went to a dinner party at some friend's house, like several couples came over, and after dinner was over, you know, they all got up from the table and some were taking dishes to the kitchen, others were washing, they were kind of all helping out. Uh, but the, the, the wife who hosted the party kind of went down a, just barely into the hallway and into her teenage son's bedroom. And so he kind of meandered and he found himself in the hallway and he, and he sees her in there, and she's just kind of cheerfully picking up the room, like just picking up his clothes and straightening things up and folding and making the bed and all those. Sort of, and she's having this little chit-chat conversation. Till finally, he just says, what are you doing? And she said, what do you mean, what am I doing? What does it look like? I'm, I'm, I'm picking up Cameron's room. And she just starts talking some more. And finally, the only thing he said was, he says, I just feel sorry for Cameron's future wife. And she just stopped for a moment. It took that moment where you kind of realize, oh, wait a minute. By doing this today, this might produce... This in the future, that maybe, I mean, really, and some moms are like this, not everyone, but I don't mind. I have to help my kid out, just cheerfully disposition, helping out, doing what makes her feel important, like she's necessary. But, but Cameron one day is going to get married, and it is possible that at that time, maybe his wife might not have such a cheery disposition when it comes to picking up after her husband, right? In fact, it's possible that Cameron's growing sense of entitlement may drive resentment so deep into his wife's heart that one day they end up in court trying to determine custody rights of two kids all because of what's happening in the moment today. She doesn't even mean it. But she just doesn't have the end in sight. You understand, if you keep doing this for Cameron, this is the kind of kid that will end up being this kind of adult. And it's quite possible that maybe uh, Cameron's co-workers aren't going to be so yippy-skippy when it comes to Cameron dropping the ball on the big company project. Or, or maybe Cameron's future boss will have zero tolerance for working with anybody who has an assumed entitlement in regards to what others should be doing for him. And so it's, you have to have the end in mind because it's better now for a child to lose privileges than in the end for an adult to lose his marriage and career. Better now for a kid to suffer some consequences and lose some privileges than for them to be an adult and lose their marriage and lose their job or career, which would be far more traumatic. And you have to have that end in mind. What kind of kids are we producing because of our present behaviors, even when they're 3 and 4 and 9 and 13? Number two, here's what I'd say. Get your child familiar with the word no. Get your child familiar with with the word no. And here's why. Because they're going to hear it a lot in life. Now, it might not be from you because you're more permissive and you don't like to say no, but I promise they will hear the word no. And so how do we train and prepare our children now that when they hear that word, how to respond accordingly? Because right now, if the only response they know is a big temper tantrum, that doesn't just magically go away when they're 22. They produce another temper tantrum, but now they're in an office context and no one's going to tolerate it. That's And so how do we prepare them now to get used to this word no? And and in that, I would say children have no idea what they're asking for, and we're not upset about that. That not make we're not like angry at the kid for that. They're a kid, of course they're going to ask for these things or want to do these things. They're they're kids, but here is what God has done in His economy of family. He did this. He said God's intent is to place children in the care of people. This is God's ordering to not let children live independently but to place them as dependents in the care of people who are older and wiser and more mature, at least theoretically. thats what I mean, that's what parents are supposed to be. That's what God intended. And as a side note, this is why children who have children is so tragic. And I feel like we kind of we're like, well, we don't want her I mean. And I get all that, and really support, love, walk through. I'm not, I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm just saying, no. The tragedy with children having children is, is they're not old enough, or wise enough, or mature enough to make decisions for themselves, let alone for another child. And that's why, I mean, so don't. I mean, I'm not going to celebrate this like this is okay. We'll still love and walk through, but really, it's in the end a tragedy, and we want to hang on to that in the sense that no, God's economy is to place children with people who are older and mature and wiser. And thus, he gives to kids this command. It's in Ephesians. And if you're a kid, tune in real quick. Ephesians 6, you need to hear from the Word of God. That's what he says, verse 1, because it's not always easy. But he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why? Because he hates you? No, no, no. He just, this is his, his intent is that your parents have more life experience that your parents have more maturity, they have more, I mean, it's not because they don't love you, it's not, I mean, in fact, it's just the opposite, but because that obey your parents because this is right. He'll go on to say, honor your father and mother. Listen, this is the first commandment that even comes with a promise, that it will go well with you and you may enjoy long life on earth. You hear those two things? That it may go well with you and you may live you may enjoy a long life here on the earth. There really is a reason why the 50 states of our union do not recognize a legal contract with somebody who's under the age of 18, right? Like a 16-year-old can't enter into a legal binding contract. You know why? Because the state recognizes a 16-year-old is not old enough or mature enough to enter into such legal obligations. And so this is the point. It's okay for us to let our kids be familiar with the word no, because they're just kids, and of course they want to stay up as late as they can. Of course they do. Of course, they want to put off chores and homework until they feel like doing it, which by the way they never do. But I mean, that's what they want. Of course. Of course they only want to eat pizza and Cheetos for every meal. We don't there's no anger in that about that for kids, of course. They're kids. Of course they want to be involved in any activity that they impulsively feel is going to be cool at the moment. They're just kids. But fortunately, God gave them parent, parents so they can hear these words often. No. And not because we don't love our kids, but because we know that a kid who is involved in gymnastics and cheerleading and ballet and orchestra and softball, and they're in fencing because who knows what potential they might have in that. And then we get them involved in Olympic curling because wouldn't it be tragic if they really had a gift and we never discovered it? I mean, you get the, the reason why we say no to those things is because we recognize, yeah, that in the end will not be okay. And God placed children with parents so they could undergo life, training, and discipline. Here's some Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not turn from it. See this is the ability to discipline and to say, I mean, just to guide kids in this. Or Proverbs nineteen eighteen. Listen to this: Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Isn't that powerful, isn't that for a minute? Uh, discipline your son, because in that there's hope. Don't be a willing party in his death. Or another pop- popular one you've probably heard: Proverbs thirteen twenty four. He who spares the rod obviously hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. See. Even little kids recognize it. They don't like it, and they're going to push against it, and they're going to complain and whine. That's normal. But even little kids deep down know boundaries equal love. They know that. They know boundaries. I mean, ask teachers in public schools who, I mean, come. I mean, they'll be. No, no, even little kids understand boundaries equals love. And I know sometimes a parent doesn't feel like that. It feels hard. It's difficult. Your sweet baby girl that you love is one. "Oh, Oh, sure. I mean, sometimes that's hard. But, I mean, I remember growing up, I had a friend, one of my best friends, when we were in high school, his parents were overly permissive and gave him everything, like everything. And for me as a teenager, you look at that and you go, Man, I wish they were my parents, right? You know what I mean? I want to get away with that and come home at that time. And my parents, pff, I mean, they had rules. And I had to be home at this time and I could do this and I couldn't do that. And this is the, I mean, right? And I'll never forget one time I was having a conversation with my friend and he said, oh, I'd change your parents in a heartbeat. I mean, he he recognized that that even though, yeah, I had to be home at a certain time, I had more rules, he, in his mind, he was able to interpret and translate that as, your parents love you. And for he wasn't confident that his parents loved him and we're just trying to get, get him out of the house and out of their hair and out of the, you know, and that's how it was being. Boundaries still equals love. And so in that, I would just say, if you're a parent and that's the calling God has given you, be the parent. And so many parents want to clip out of that and just be, I just, they're my best friend. Listen, your kids are not your best friend. You're the parent. And you don't have to be their buddy. You don't have to be their pal. You don't have to be none. Now listen, now someday you will be. Like when I when Kelly and I got married, really my relationship with my parents just dramatically shifted in a whole new dynamic. And and that someday that will happen. You'll be best friends. you will be great buds like that. But now you're you're the parent. You're called to be the parent. So when the kids come and well we voted and we're gonna do this, you could say, Well, you're not living in a democracy. This is a benevolent dictatorship and right <laughs> and even that could change. I mean, right? You're the parent. That's okay. And, and really, if your kid, when you get the, well, I hate you, you, just go write down, I am succeeding as a parent. That's what you should write down. And I know it hurts and it feels painful in the moment, but that's a good, that is a good sign that you're moving in the right direction in, in, in that particular way. And too many parents have abdicated that calling to be parents. And listen, your job description is not to make your kid happy. Or your job is not to protect them, which I mean, so every, we see families so overprotective from anything from anything that they find unpleasant. Sometimes it's good for your kid to experience something unpleasant or that's an imposition to them or that might be frustrating. Don't just jump in and t- try to rescue that. It could be good for them. Don't fall for the societal lie that your child's going to be somehow deprived if you don't ensure that they get involved in every activity and every opportunity available to them because who knows? I mean, what if my kid really could be a professional athlete, but I just didn't sign him up for Little League? And yeah, I hear that. I mean, parents are driven, their calendars are driven by the kids, and it's crazy because they're trying to get their kid in every last thing because, well, well, I mean, what if he could be an Olympic archer and I never gave him lessons? And then, what? I mean, what if she could have been a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader? Or, or, or what if, I mean, you hear what I'm saying. I have served in this church now for over 15 years, and you know how many professional, I've seen this at work a lot, but you know how many professional athletes we've produced at the Living Stones Church in the 15 years I've been here? which, what's wrong, people? I mean, I thought we were, t- I mean, just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. In fact, when I just broaden that out, you know how many professional athletes I'm aware of that came from the south side of South Bend in the last 15 years? I can't think of any. Now, I'm not saying there might be one. I couldn't, I couldn't think, you got two over here? I mean, here's what I'm trying to say. It's not boo sports. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying like, don't exchange the soul of your kid from Jesus to sports. Don't let your whole universe and your world revolve around the activities of your kids in such a way that, well, the, I mean, they're going to be the sports star, and the next thing you know, your entire calendar and your money and your thoughts and your conversation, it revolves around, I mean, this will be the indicator whether or not your kid is the CEO and those sorts of things. And, and I get it. Again, I'm not saying don't play sports because I get it. I think it could be great for kids. And I even understand what it feels like to watch her. Like Caleb here, he was uh, played Little League over here at Southeast Little League, and one day in the middle of the game, the coaches wanted to pitch. Well, he never really pitched before. Now, I've seen him do it in the front yard. He could be pretty good, but, you know, you, when you put him in the game for the first time, as a parent, you get real nervous because you're thinking, oh, I hope he doesn't embarrass himself, or more importantly, me. I mean, that's what you're, you're thinking. And so, so, Caleb gets up to the mound. He winds up. He throws that pitch. I mean, it was fast, and it was a strike. I mean, just, you know, like, right on, all right. And two more, strike, strike. I mean, struck the batter out. The parents are all cheering. Hey, go, Caleb. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's my boy. Where's my bumper sticker, Caleb? And that's what, that's what you're kind of, right? And, and it, he struck out the next two, ba- he struck out all three batters in that inning. We really had a fantastic game. And I, when we rode, I thought, when's the next game? I mean, I just feel so excited. I was like, when's the next? So I get it. This is not a don't enjoy with your kids sports interactive. No, I'm not saying that at all. I mean, unless it's soccer, because it's really boring, right? I mean. <laughs> all the services here, man, that is the polarizing sport. Okay, I'm moving on. Okay. Uh, it's just simply to say our kids should be de in that. And their activities, to be, they need to, listen, these, even if you don't follow Jesus, you're not a Christian, this principle still applies to you. It's not good for your kid to be the center of the universe. You don't even have to be a Christian for that. But if you are a Christian, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, what that means is we've said that there is going to be something that our world is going to revolve around. That Jesus is going to be what we're going to orbit around. That Jesus is going to be the center of our universe. We want everything to do, to, to go around like that. Because kids are smart, even little kids are smart enough to know you can say God is the most important thing, but based on our calendar and our conversations and our money and our activity and our time, volleyball is the most important thing. I mean, even kids are smart enough to know that. And so I'm just saying, don't exchange. Their, I mean, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, anyone who loves his father his, or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And, and anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me, I mean, you see what Jesus is doing. Decenters. Your kid's not the center. I'm the center. But the good news for your kid is when Jesus is the center of your life, I man, you'll be a much better parent. Much better parent. Right, let's move on. Number three let the consequences do the talking. Let the consequences do the talking. One of the best things you can do for your kids now is to help them learn the spiritual law of sowing and reaping, to know that their actions have real consequences. Like reality-based, like when you do this, this is the consequence, and you need to know that and feel that and experience it now because that's going to be their case their whole life. And so they need to know, look, if you jump off that cliff, you will hit the bottom. If you get drunk and then get in the car, this is the possibility that awaits you. If you decide that, you know, working really isn't your thing, then, food, then eating won't really be your thing. I mean, they need to, they need to know that. It, they need to know that if you violate your promises and vows that you've made to your spouse, then your marriage ending will be the consequence. Or or if you're going to treat people like a jerk, then the consequence of that will be you will find yourself lonely and unemployed and isolated. And God placed children into our care so they could be disciplined to feel the effects of sowing and reaping that choices have consequences. And so things like this, like you're tired of arguing with your kid to get out of bed to go to school. And sometimes that happens. You're like, the alarms are going off the, ba- the your kids still sleeping through the whole thing you're get out of bed get out of bed you walk away 5 minutes later get out of bed get out of bed it's a big fight in the morning i would just say this let them experience the reality based consequences of that don't rescue them from it let them go to school late and when they get to school late, let them uh, let them expe- don't rescue them. From, let them experience. Yeah, you were tardy now three times. Now you're going to have uh, in school suspension. You're going to miss recess. I mean, let them feel the consequences. And don't keep coming in and rescuing them because someday they're going to be independent and out of your house, and you can't rescue them anymore. And there's going to be serious consequences for it. Let them. And let me say, let it be reality-based consequences, not relationally-based consequences. Because this is what I see a lot of times, and I do it too. Whereas a parent, you know, you're getting angry or frustrated, and I mean, and it's relational-based where. Now you're pouting, now you're screaming, now you're letting the kid know that you're disappointed and you're angry, it's, and it feels it's harming to the relationship. You don't need to do that. You don't get angry. Don't you get all screaming and yelling. Just like just let the natural reality-based consequences of their actions, let them feel the effect of that. And so in that, they'll learn that, oh yeah, everything, everything has a consequence in that. Because it's better now for your kid to suffer in-school suspension than to go to college and then be kicked out because they never show up to class. Or to lose their job because they they're they're late all the time to to their work. One other side note of this is, don't ever set a consequence for your kids that's tougher for you to enforce than for them to actually live out. And something you know that happens when you get upset, you're like, you're grounded for two months. You're never leaving this house. In like two days, you're ready to kill your kid, thinking get them out of that. I mean, so just whatever. Don't give them a consequence that you yourself can't live with. Like, if you depend on the TV at this time in the day to really help you out so you can get something done, don't come in and say, you're grounded from the TV forever, and inside you're thinking, oh, no. I mean, So just set the consequence that that you too can live in and endure and follow through because consistency speaks value. I'm telling you, kids learn very quickly mom and dad will change their mind. I mean, I know they said this, but all I have to do is do this or keep whining or keep begging and they'll eventually change their mind and I can get, go back to the way things are. So be, kids are very, very Your kids are very, very smart. You, sh- you should know that. Last thing, number four. Give more attention to your marriage than to your kids. So, so if you're married, this is what we talked about last week. Give more attention to your marriage than to your kids. And I know sometimes that feels counterintuitive, and sometimes that can be the, some of the root of the problem in marriage, like, you know, oftentimes the, the husband oftentimes can feel real jealousy for the new, the new baby in the house, the new child in the house, because what happens is she used to be his wife and lover and all the things that are appropriate in terms of roles, and now she's mom, and that's the only role she's in. And, and it has serious consequences. So I'd say it is in your kid's best interest to see you having a great, healthy marriage. They want that deep down. And so I mean, kiss each other in front of the kids all the time. It's okay. And they're going to go, ooh, it's room. I'm saying, no. I mean, it's good for them to see that because it is in their best interest for them to know, my parents have a great marriage. And what you do is you set an example for their life in the future to have a great marriage. If everything's going to the kid, then the marriage will get all the leftovers. And no marriage can survive forever on leftovers. It just can't. If all of your time, all of your attention, all of your energy is always for the kids, and the kids are going to demand it. Like, it's not like they're going to – no kid's going to go, you know, Mom, Dad, you should just spend some quality time together. Why don't you just kind of let me give you two hours? No kid's going to do that. I don't care what age they are. No kid does that. You'll need to set with them those boundaries that say, listen, I love your mom, your mom loves me, and this is our time together. We need you to do that. I mean, that don't let your marriage have the, the leftovers because everything is spinning around the kids. Here, here, just let me close with this. I know this doesn't feel popular to hear or to even say out loud because of our culture and society, and in some way it even feels weird or, or, or wrong, and it's easy to get caught up, but I, I want you to have complete confidence that the best thing you can do is decenter your children and not let them drive your family or life. And so I'm, I'm going to give you permission this afternoon to walk out of here and just, I mean, just say to your kid, well, the next thing your kid asks for, just say, no. And then they go, like, why? I don't know, Sam told us, we told us, you know, I mean, whatever. You can even blame me if you want, but that it, it's okay. And in the end, they'll be better off for it. And whose phone? I bet that they must have grown up in a house. No, I'm just kidding. I was a, just kidding. It will go well for their future in that. So, so let me say this. Uh, well, let's just pray. Let's just close with that. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you're a God that disciplines us as your children. And, and it tells us in, in Hebrews that no discipline at the moment feels pleasant. But we're supposed to recognize that as a sign that you really do love us. And so we want to have your heart that we're able to lead and discipline our children and train our children in a way that that the center of their universe will be your son, Jesus. And out of that, it will mold their character and their thoughts and their values. So I just pray, Lord, that that will be the natural outcome. And and to do that, I mean, we need your spirit to give us wisdom. And we need grace because things get so complicated. And so, I mean, there's so many different situations and, and so many complexities to that. We need to know, really when to say this or that, or when to not say anything, and how to say it in tone, and all those things are just feels like a daily struggle. And so we are begging you this morning that you would empower us with your spirit that we might be great parents who have your son Jesus at the center, and we're training and disciplining our children as you'd have us to do. So we just ask for that this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, at this moment, some chicken buckets are going to come down your row. That's for our tithes and offerings and our connection card. So if you filled out that connection card or you have your tithes and offerings, when that bucket comes around, just drop it in there. As that's taking place, let me give you two announcements, and then we're going to be done for the, for the afternoon. Uh, next Saturday, October 6th, we're having an I Love Side event at, from 9 to 1130. Now, it's really a larger community event's going on next Saturday where lots of groups and organizations and churches are going to go out and serve their community. We're just going to participate in that with them here on the south side. So we've got some houses and some neighborhoods that we're going to take care of. It's from 9 to 1130, so be here next Saturday at 9. Bring your rake and some weed whacker or whatever it is that you can use in terms of those sorts of things. It's sort of like if you've come to the Sunday when we cancel services to the I Love South Side event, it's sort of like that in our neighborhoods this coming Saturday at 9 o'clock. And the second thing is uh, during our Modern Family series, we've been doing a photo booth where you can go in there by yourself or with your family, take your picture. It could be serious. It could be funny, whatever, goofy, whatever you want to do. And then we're going to take those pictures and put them on that uh, wallpaper in the hallway as you're walking in. And uh, we'll also give you a copy of JPEG, so you can take it and print it and as many copies as you want, whatever you want. So if you've not done that, go do that before you leave. In the past two weeks, it's been in the front yard, uh, but this morning it's in the little theater, which is just down the hall and to the left. So if you want to make your way there, just get your picture made on your way out, that'd be fantastic. Let's stand together for final prayer and blessing. And as we close there are some people up front prepared to pray with you if there's something that you're either